and welcome to the Capacity Creator Podcast. I'm Melanie Sadka. In each episode, you'll hear about the many successes, struggles, and advice on how to respect your capacity. You can subscribe at Melanie Sadka, like vodka with an S.com, or come see me on Instagram. Or you can visit my Facebook page called Capacity Creator. In this two-part series, Kelsey Ramsden joins me to talk about our high-capacity nature and how we can better manage an interesting concept of burnout versus bored out. Kelsey is a leading female entrepreneur in Canada, an author, a podcaster, a business leader, entrepreneur, and speaker. We have a great discussion about high-capacity individuals and the constant churn for something new. So Kelsey, you are a speaker, a blogger, a podcaster, a BS buster, a coach, and now (laughs) author. I know. It's pretty exciting. Yes. I want to talk about that book during this podcast. I want to know everything about it so we can tell the listeners where they can purchase it and how we can support because I know a little bit about what you're writing about and it couldn't be more applicable to many of us out there right now. Super cool. Absolutely. So let's get into a little bit of capacity. So that's what the podcast is all about. And I've been talking to my guests about the notion of respecting and abusing their capacity. And, you know, with your book all about future proofing and, you know, the 2.0 and, kind of the encore of our successes in our lives. How, how do you, when I talk about capacity, how does that resonate? Where does that fall into what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think for me, there was this kind of TSN turning point moment where I realized that I'm capable of doing a lot of things. Um, and that is a blessing and a curse. You know, so uh, that doesn't make me like tremendously smart or tremendously, you know, superhuman or any given thing. It's just I happen to be decent at a number of things that I am called on to contribute with. And so people like that and generally successful people, if you've had, you know, a win or two along the way, there'll be a lot of people who could use your insight, your knowledge, your help, your whatever, which means people like us get asked to do a lot of things. So it's, it's like the old thing. If you want something done, ask a busy person. Yes. And um, yes. And so because like I say, capacity can be a blessing and a curse. We can use it in great ways and we can use it in ways that I think ultimately harm us and our big goals. And what I mean by that is um, there was a point in time where I was like on three boards was running two businesses, three children, a a marriage, a a self, uh, a family outside of that, a a friend network, you know, so you kind of stack all these things up. And, um, and I started to kind of look at how I was performing in all those arenas. So I was showing up in all the arenas. But if I was like, totally honest, I was performing like 80% or less. Right. Um, and a lot of people talk about feeling stretched thin or burnout or whatever the case may be. And I was at that place and, and really looked at, wait a minute. So if I'm, if all these yeses are out there, but they're only kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. Even though in the moment I'm excited about it because I know I can contribute and help. Um, but if I feel like my performance is like, 
is that what I want to stand for and be known for? And the answer is clearly no. And um, so there's a couple of ways like for your listeners to, to take something away that's actionable and do something about that. And I'll just share how I did it. And, and for some people it would be helpful and um, yes, others potentially not. For sure. I would love that. That was about so, the next part of the question was what do you do to just to respect that capacity and to not let your own capacity erode the output? Cool. So there's, there's two things. There is how can I serve? And how does my service serve me? So I think starting and looking that and and a great place because a lot of people do not like to start with a blank page. So a great place to look at that is just look at all the things you've said yes to. Look at your social calendar, look at your work commitments, look at your personal commitments, whatever, all the stuff you're already doing. And kind of answer that first question, which is, am I showing up fully? And at what percent is my outcome? So that will give you kind of a sense of like where you sit. Yes. Then in going through that process, you'll be able to kind of go, well, this I don't love. I felt like, you know, it was my sister-in-law and she asked me and all the stories we can tell ourselves and we can rank in priority the things that we can serve really well. So where do I contribute the most? Where do, where do people get their greatest bang for my time? And then flipping that around and looking at what do I get out of that service? So is this something that totally charges me up? Am I surrounded by people that I love? Da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Is this something that inspires me? And so when we look at that on balance, there may be things that we can contribute a lot to, but that when we're there, it gives us nothing in return. And this maybe sounds greedy for a bunch of folks, but the truth of the matter is, when we get something out of our giving, we're more likely to show up as our best self and do more of it. Absolutely. It's, um, it's human nature. I mean, that's, you know, that's so just, kind of, yeah. totally, it's totally human nature. And so kind of ranking those things and having a look at that um, is really, I think, a useful place to start. That's beta. Then the second thing is the kind of like ninja level is <laughs> look at your hours in a day. So this is like 101 with my clients. We start with this. Um, 24 hours, less however many hours of sleep you need to get to function at your highest level. So for me, that's seven. Uh, Okay, so now I have X number of hours left. Then I have so many parenting hours. So I spend, my kids wake up or our kids wake up at about 5.30 in the morning and they're dropped at school at nine. Uh, so there's three and a half hours in the morning and then I'm also the person who picks them up that's at four o'clock and then they go to bed at eight. So there's four hours there. So seven and a half hours, uh, off the clock where I'm parenting. Cause I like to be totally present when I'm doing that part. Yes. Okay. So now we are less 14 and a half hours. Okay. So that's leaving me with nine and a half hours, you know, again, in that nine and a half hours, I definitely have to eat and pee and walk the dog and, you know, da, da, da. okay. Yes. So now what do I have? You know, and just work your way back to how much time do I have? Like really, how much time do you have? Um, it's true. And part of this is meeting expectations. So lots of times people like us can be like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll do all this stuff. I have all the capacity, but when the rubber hits the road, we fall short because we don't actually have the time to live up to our commitments. 
I 100% agree. Um, and that those are fantastic tools um, and tips. And I feel like this is like a woo, like a, a woohoo moment because it's 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 what I'm working on right now too. Is really to understand how many hours do I have to dedicate to my craft and then to give to others uh, in terms of extending my expertise, my knowledge, and my capacity to help others as well. And there's not very many hours left after all of that. Well, and this is it. And what's cool about that is that it gives us a permission slip to say no. Exactly. Because a lot of us, like, everyone's like, learn how to say no. That's awesome. But it feels crappy. Uh, especially when we want to do something and we want to help and we have all this capacity and we're, and we're racehorses to begin with. Um, but the permission slip to say no is to be like, wait a minute, I have, I have big fish to fry and I have some interesting and exciting things cooking. And if I say yes to you, I know that I only have X amount of time. So I'm going to have to cut one of these other things, which is it. Right. And that creates like this really quick, like heads or tails response, right? In the moment, you're either like that trumps this other thing I'm working on or it simply does not. Well, on that notion, I mean, there's so many exciting things out there. And you're right, when we get to certain levels of expertise and, and certain levels of notoriety and, and people would like to, to enlist our help, there's this indulgent capacity, which you know I talk about on a different podcast. And it's how do we manage the indulgent piece? It's like the part that was like, yeah, I could, I could do it. I'm going to do it. I really want to do this. I'm not sure 100% what it's going to give me, but I'm going to give it a shot and see where it goes. How do we tame mm-hmm. that? Yeah, geez. I mean, I think it's, this is the challenge of like the the challenge of opportunity, isn't it? You get yes. so many opportunities. Um, I, I think it comes back to being focused. I can be notoriously unfocused when there's so many things coming at me and so many fun and exciting opportunities and uh, all that kind of stuff. Right. But what I really thrive on, like truthfully at the end of the day, I thrive on accomplishment. I love the feeling of succeeding, mm-hmm. of winning, you know, providing value, whatever the thing is, d- depending on the application. And I steal that from myself when I go for this really short-term high of saying yes, with for the long-term low of feeling uh, disappointed in my performance, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we, we steal from ourselves the potential of the much richer high, which is accomplishment, when we're always seeking the short-term high of yes. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. I am 100% aligned with you there because there are these quick fixes that we may need depending on what's happening and depending on the highs that we're not getting that we're used to getting. So I find that it's almost, it's, yeah, it's temperamental that way. And even, I mean, I talk about the notion of resignment too, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm almost positive you've probably been in the same situation where the plate is overloaded and it's time now to say no and to kind of take a couple of step backwards and start resigning on a couple of things. Does that resonate with you? A hundred percent. You know, and it doesn't feel great to resign. I think people think of it as giving up or failing or whatever. Look, the failures in keeping on doing something that's not supporting the ecosystem. Right. You know, like if, if you're taking medicine that doesn't work, is it a success to keep on taking it? No, that's stupid. Right. Like, come on. Let's get, get off your ego platform and get into reality. Uh, the success is in culling the things that aren't serving. 
Right. Um, either way. And, and we can get focused on what other people will say or what they will think or whatever. But the truth is like that old adage, zero people are thinking about you as much as you're thinking about yourself. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, you know, again, short-term pain, long-term gain, it's going to hurt difficult conversations, resigning from things. Uh, but don't we respect people more who have boundaries? Absolutely. hundred percent. Like, I mean, you say it all over your website too. It's like you work with people who are ready to do the work. And, you know, the further I go down this road in business, the fur- the more I realize there are less people willing to do the work. And I work with this generation in entrepreneurship and there's only a handful who will put like boots to the ground and and go and work their asses off. And there are so many more that just won't, but expect the fame, the glory, those, those highs, right? Those short-term highs. Uh, and I worry, I worry about that generation because there's so much talent out there that, you know, we have to inspire to, to follow, but be discerning in what they go after. For sure. And that's, it's like the old FOMO thing too. And, and I will say it happens in all generations. Like I have clients who show up who are like, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, no, you're not doing all those things. You say you're doing them. You probably commit time for them. But given your ability, are you really doing it or are you just like showing up there occasionally? Um, I think, uh, I think the challenge around that piece of things is like, what's the other, with the other adage, I'm like on the adages today, I guess, uh, is the final mile to success is a road that's not crowded. And, um, and it's really true in that, look, let's start with this. So I'm going to turn it around for a second and say, like, what is success? How many people actually define that for themselves? Right. Let's start there. Very few. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say that you have done that. So you've defined what success is for you. The truth is, if you really did that, it looks like almost no one else's definition. In which case, why are we looking to everyone else for some kind of approval about what we're doing because that slows people down a lot too in that idea of saying no to things when people are like oh but this is the way you do it or that's how so and so did it or what are people going to think if i'm not if i'm an author and not a podcaster or if if i'm a you know doctor but i don't serve in this kind of practice or i mean oh that's just huge again. imposter theory too right that creeps in because it's like i'm not worthy to do that until i get this credential or until i write this or until i get this many followers I'm with you. It's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those that's that inner critic imposter for sure. And we, I think that everybody knows someone that they looked at at a snippet in time and they were like, why are they even sticking with that? That is like, they have 3000 people following their blog or whatever. Oh my God. Well, so-and-so this other person has 300,000, like what a waste of time. But flash forward three years later and the person who was criticizing Mm -hmm. has still zero. Right. And the person who just stuck with it with, you know, consistent dedication is somewhere. Uh, And so we can get into these stalled patterns of feeling not enough or that someone else is so much further ahead or blah, 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 all the stories. Um, I I talk about this a bit in in the book about the difference between love and lust Mm. and that it, it happens in our work as well. So love is something that endures even when it's hard, blah, blah, blah. 
lust is something that's like fast and furious and exciting, but something kind of maybe off center happens and it's over poof. And, and the same can happen with our dreams. Like a lot of times what we say we want is actually a lust. We don't, we don't really want it long-term. It's better to keep it in fantasy land because if we, if we loved it and we had to commit to it, even when it was hard, and then it even proved to, to not work out, how painful could that be? Isn't it better just to lust after it? Right. Um, wow. And, and so that notion of the potential of loss for having committed to something is I think what keeps a lot of people out of the game or only kind of half-assing it. That just hit the nail on the head. Um, you're absolutely right. And it's defining what that loss is. And I think we make that loss so much bigger than it, it actually is. Uh, we give it way more credit than it actually deserves. Great point. I, that's yeah. It def. I love the way that you did that. And let's talk about the book because you know I've 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 known that you've been writing this book for for a couple of years now, and I'm so excited for it to be released. What do you want to tell us about this book? Because I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Uh, yeah. Well, so it's 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 so interesting. It's like the creative process, right? Yeah. So the book has taught me, I think, more things than I than I could possibly teach in the book. Right. Uh, one of them is. At a certain point, the book is done. I got an email from a friend who is a, uh, he's written five New York Times selling um, books. And it was this random email. It was like, your book is done. I was like, oh my gosh, did you get a copy? How do you know? And he was like, at a certain point, the book is done. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And so for me, writing this book has totally been, um, I started out with an idea. And the more I got into it, the more people I talked to, interviewed and research I did, the more work there was to do and, and so on and so forth. So the point of the book is really this idea of like, how do people survive their success when they get to a place um, at the top, but feel like they're not done, the work's not done, they're kind of unsatisfied, they expected something different or bigger or, and now they're thinking, what do I do now? What do I do next? Some, in some cases, it's how do I follow my own act? In some cases, it's how do I pivot from this thing when I've done this for so long and everyone classifies me as that to now go and do something entirely different. And um, in my own journey, that happened when I was named Canada's top female entrepreneur twice mm -hmm. and uh, two years in a row. And then I, I from, you know, in my own world was thinking, okay, so now what? Like, how do you follow that? Right. What's very next? And it's hard to conceive of being at the beginning again, when we've done something and gained some notoriety and some expertise to have to go all the way back to being a student when we're so used to being a master. It's, it's the mental gymnastics that we're not accustomed to, but our heart yearns for because if we're wired up that way, we're driven, ambitious people. And when we reach the top of the mountain, but we were born to climb, the only thing we can do is go back to the bottom and climb another mountain. Absolutely. And um, what great visuals you have. So the whole, so the book, yeah, yeah. So the book is all about this idea of like, even though there are lots of people at the top and this kind of perceived success on the inside, they don't feel that way, but they're stuck in this place where they feel like, uh, and it's not popular to say because, you know, it's like, uh, I'm, I've reached my goal, but I'm not satisfied. And people go, oh, boo-hoo, you <laughs> I know, right? poor soul. Yeah. Um, but 
but the truth is it's, it's, it's a very painful, lonely place because we don't talk about it. No one at the top says, I don't like it here because that would be, that would be, I don't know, just not socially acceptable, would it? But there are many, many, many people who are there. And, um, and so the idea that the kind of big idea of the book is how do you take your status quo and disrupt it personally to the degree to which you can come alive again mentally. Yes. Um, One of the quotes from the book is like, you know, I'm stuck in the missionary sex of my career. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like, it's hardly memorable. It counts, but it's, it's, you know, I'm not writing any, I'm not writing home about it. Um, And so the 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 audience is all about though again those people who got to the place they thought they wanted to get to and then found out there's another place they want to go it's not the end um and i was just talking to a guy 78 years old (laughs) and he's like that's totally me i have an act two he's like i think i'm on act nine but there's more yes yeah he's amazing amazing guy Um, so it's not just about, you know, there are people who, who are into it, who just finished their undergrad who are like, great. So I told my parents I was going to do this thing. I got my undergrad, but now what? Like that was as far as I got. I, I agree with you. The one part that I do think about a little bit is, are we actually wired that way? Or is it once we've attained a certain level of success and we've, we've, We've gotten a taste of that. Is that what propels us to the next act? Or are people like, all right, you know, I did it once. I'm good. I'm okay. I've, I've achieved different that. People. Yeah. Different people. Those are different people. They're not you know? wired that way. Yeah. That's right. So a, fr- a friend of mine, um, Doug Brackman, he does these meditation retreats and um, he has, he's written this really interesting book called Driven and it's actually proven in our DNA genetically they're effectively hunters and farmers and so the hunter are people like we who um are in this constant fervent drive for what our what our soul is yearning for we're ambitious always yes um the farmer plants a seed happily watches it grow and harvests it that's sufficient that's absolutely sufficient. We look at that and think, how is that even a life? Like, please like slam my head in the door. (laughs) But to them, they look at us and go, oh my gosh, that is torturous. Why are you always in the churn of something new, something different, some learning, some, you know, what that's to them, that's like slam, slam my head in the door. So I think we have to you know, give credit where it's due that neither is right. They both simply are coexisting in the world. That's why there are entrepreneurs and staff. Oh, you're absolutely right. And so, yeah. You know what the voice, that farmer voice sounds like too. So the farmer would say to the hunter, wow, you know, I can't believe how busy you are. Like you're doing so much. Like when will you ever stop? Like they're just right. not romanticized by, you know, the different challenges that we seek and that we yearn to, to tackle um, at all. And, it, and it's interesting. And I think the farmer would say, wow, the hunter is just so busy. 
you know, quote unquote busy. And it's not a busy, it's, it's the chase. It's the, the desire to conquer. It's the, it's, yeah, you are that we're wired very differently. It's a great point. I love that analogy. Well, I think the hunter uh, or the ambitious, if we want to call them that, is oftentimes most comfortable in the discomfort of pursuit. Ah, beautifully you said. Know, that's where we love it. It's in this environment where they're, you know, it's never done. Um, that's actually as, mu- as much as it's uncomfortable when it's never done, but that's where we live best. Um, and, and although we can look at the farmer and be like, that's boring. To them, they're most comfortable in complacency in some way. Not complacency, but they're, they're, they're resolved to this is what I do and I do it. And that's great. Yes. Whereas uh, we are in, you know, the, the um, kind of the, again, to the like fervent search, mm-hmm. right? I, We're seekers. Yes. Um, and some people can see that as broken. Like you, nothing is ever enough. Kelsey and I had such a great discussion that I decided to cut the interview into two parts. So stay tuned for part two with Kelsey Ramsden. Capacity Creator is produced by me, Melanie Sadka, and recorded by the amazing team at Hive Studios in Hamilton, Ontario. For more information on Capacity Creator, please visit capacitycreator.com or check out the Facebook page.